I am looking with some interest to what uh, Giorgia Meloni is trying to do because she is the extreme right you can find in Europe. But she, uh, in this uh, few months uh, which has been leader of the country, she uh, is following... Uh, maintain a position of a balanced budget and uh, that can be if uh, she succeed to keep this uh, this approach uh, for the next uh, period can be a real innovation for this country because if even the right accepts that uh, there are uh, budget constraints and uh, uh, maybe that the left can uh, start again to to do the left and not to do the job uh, of the right. Welcome back to In the Room, a series of conversations with officials who were present at critical moments in the history of the European Union. That union grew out of European communities founded in the 50s by six countries, of which the three giants were Germany, France and Italy. Yet by the mid-90s, as member states prepared to create a single currency, almost no one expected Italy to join the first wave. And that included the pro-European ministers in the centre-left coalition that won the election in April 96 under Romano Prodi. The incoming government had a budget deficit that amounted to 6.5% of national output, compared to an average 4% for the 11 states that eventually created the euro three years later. Its debt totaled 125% of output compared to just 75 for the 11, and its 10-year interest rates were 5 percentage points higher than those in Germany. To cap it all, since going through a currency and debt crisis in 1992, the lira had been outside the exchange rate mechanism, a system designed to prevent devaluation. In almost every respect, Italy wasn't ready. And yet, by January 98, Germany and other sceptical member states had agreed to admit Italy after Prodi, his Treasury Minister Carlo Azelio Ciampi and his Finance Minister Vincenzo Visco carried out an amazing budgetary adjustment. I've long been fascinated by this story, especially the September 96 summit between Prodi and his Spanish counterpart, a meeting that persuaded Prodi to drop plans to wait for a second wave. Vincenzo Visco wasn't in the room at that two-man meeting, but he was at plenty of others, including one days later in Prodi's office, that gave first wave entry the green light. Born in the south in Foggia in 1942, a year before a heavy Allied bombing campaign, Visco served as a finance minister throughout the Euro transition from 96 to 2000 and again from 2006 to 2008. He was an independent left MP for 25 years. An economist by training, he studied at Berkeley and in York and he taught finance at Pisa and Rome. He's 81 now, but he's just co-authored a new book on what he calls the tax war, which is one of the issues we discussed when we met in Rome. By the way, for authenticity, you'll notice I added background, Italian police sirens and church bells. There's a lot of Italian political names, so I've attached a sequential glossary to the show notes for the under 50s. Anyway, I bring you Vincenzo Visco.
So I'd like to begin with something that interests me very much, which is your background before you became a minister. And before you were a minister in the crucial transitional year of 1996, you served for 13 years as a member of parliament in the lower house in the Communist Party with the PCI, and then with its success of the PDS. What was it that drew you to the PCI in your youth? Well, I, actually, I was not a member of the Communist Group, but of left independent groups, which were member of parliament elected with Communist votes, but organized in a quite an autonomous way, since I was not communist. And, of course, you should remember that the Italian Communist Party was a very peculiar Communist Party. It was much more like a Labour Party. It was the main opposition party. So when people had to choose voting for the Christian Democrats or the opposition, they almost naturally went with the Communists. At the same time, the Communists was a very popular party with strong links, not only with the unions, but also with ordinary citizens. They had a very huge organization, a territorial organization, and they helped everyone, and also they had a leadership among the intellectuals and the cultural organization in the country. So it was quite obvious to, even if you don't wear a communist. So one thing I've always been intrigued by is why so many economists in Italy and in France, but especially Italy, tend to be on the left rather than on the right. That's not the case in the Anglo world. Why is that? I'm not sure. I mean, what, what uh, you don't remember Cambridge, uh, uh, UK, probably. <laughs> so there were a uh, left, most of us, did study in the British and American universities. But I think that uh, the problem is that in our country, we never had a liberal right. We always have a corporate right, a populist right, a post-fascist or even a fascist right, even now. And they were not. Uh, they didn't like economics. I mean, they were uh, mainly oriented on uh, low studies uh, uh, or uh, in a very conservative way. So it was almost natural for young economists to become Keynesians, and uh, not so much pro market, uh, but up to a way. I mean. Uh, so, but we also have a, a conservative economist in this country, of course. So let's paint the scene in 1992 until 1996 when you became minister. In 92, Italy tipped into a political and budgetary crisis, and the ripples were still being felt when you took office in May 1996. Could you outline the state Italy was in in the run-up to the election in April 1996? During the 80s, the centre-left uh, governments of the time, uh, were Christian Democrats and Socialists, were so clever to increase our debt that in 1908 it was 57% of GDP. They brought it to more than 100% because they were unable you know, to fix the budget and do, to uh, make interventions uh, uh, that were not popular. 
So the, uh, uh, so we had two digit inflations, uh, inflation and uh, increasing debt and uh, uh, deficit. Uh, so in '92 there was a showdown on the markets. Then there was a government led by Giuliano Amato that we didn't support, but we, we didn't make many obstacles uh, because we knew that the situation was uh, dramatic and there was a, a, a big adjustment, Manav. And after that, there was a, a champion government that strengthened the process uh, and then we lost the election and the Berlusconi went in power and, and uh, in uh, six, seven months there was a new financial crisis and uh, another technical government led by Dini and uh, finally uh, we won the election in 1996 so the situation was very difficult. You should remember that Rodiger Dornbusch, that at the time was probably the leading uh, macroeconomist uh, uh, in the world, asked about Italy uh, and the possibility of the default of Italy, said, well, the matter is not if, but when. And so that was the climate, uh, and uh, our reputation uh, on the markets was very, very bad. Uh, the uh, budget deficit was over 7%, inflation was over 5%, the debt was over 100%. This was the, the situation which we went in power. And But we uh, we go there knowing exactly what we had to do. Uh, it was to uh, adjust the budget and uh, uh, try to uh, enter the euro. But at the same time, nobody did believe that we could be able to join in '97. Uh, and, and indeed, the uh, target for the budget for '97 had been set by, the, by Dini at 4.4, if I remember uh, well. But, uh, so one point and a half more than the three percent was uh, that was uh, the allowed for and this was the, the situation and in fact the, as soon as we the governor was formed we made an adjustment manner uh, and after well we later on we decided to try to uh, to do the adjustment for uh, 97 it was not easy of course well i'd like to go back a step to when you were coming into government you were the opposition's economic policy coordinator from 92 to 96 but this was a coalition effort under romano prodi how involved were you in the preparation of the policy platform for the whole coalition and did you expect to go into government you know if the coalition won at the time, the, the Communist Party uh, was not more there. It was a, a left democratic party, which I joined, because it was, uh, at the time there was no more problem with, with not doing that. And I was uh, responsible of the, uh, the economic uh, sector, and uh, I prepared together with uh, Andreata, who was 
the Christian Leon as former treasury minister and other people. We worked to the to our program uh, and also the was champion with uh, with us. So I took care um, care mainly of the tax side of the budget, which was my uh, my speciality. But we made the job together, and. Uh, of course, nobody could know what would have would happen after the election, but it was uh, probably obvious that I, I should uh, enter in, in the government. Also, because I already had been appointed as finance minister in the Champion government, uh, but our uh, participation to that government was very short, four days. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, in a sense, it, it was ob- obvious. It was. Uh, Do you get a pension for four days as a minister? <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly what had to be done, so I was, I, I was not worried. I mean, I think now to it, uh, probably it was. I was a little bit crazy, but <laughs> anyway, also, you know, that, that going was very important because it was the first time in the after war period that the former communist and former Christian left uh, Democrats from, from uh, the left of the party could work together. That had been a, a, an objective or a fantasy for years. And the, the government was uh, very. Uh, there were no no discussions. We were very uh, collegiate. We were very, uh, mm. Yes, that's it's, uh, it's very interesting, mm. and it lasted at least until we entered the the US. Then, uh, so before the government took office, how explicit was it understood internally that you know, by Prodi by Valtroni? by you, that you were going to plan to get into the Euro area in the first wave? At the beginning, uh, nobody uh, really believed that it was possible. And indeed, as I uh, said before, the objective uh, set by the Dini governor was 4.4. But only only Champi was uh, committed to try to do something. But it was very cautious, and uh, he just wrote uh, a small phrase into the official document, which didn't exclude the possibility of entering in advance. And nobody believed that small phrase had any uh, practical relevance. But he'd been around a long time. I, mean, I guess he knew how to play that sort of bureaucratic yeah, but, game. But he he was not only very committed, but also very uh, clever uh, po- uh, from a political point of view. Mm-hmm. And indeed, he, he, he had been governor of the Bank of Italy for many, many years. So he was accustomed to uh, to deal, uh, to make deals and uh, yeah, eventually agreements uh, with uh, other positions. So. so it's often assumed, and it's also my memory of 1996 as a journalist covering these issues, that the turning point was the bilateral summit between Prodi and Jose Maria Athna in Valencia. 
on September the 18th, 1996. And it was said that Prodi lobbied Asnar to hold back Spain's euro entry by year and the two should join together. But it was Asnar's refusal to do this that prompted Prodi to change direction. Prodi has since denied this or you know, said that he didn't make that point explicitly to Asnar. What is your memory of the importance of that meeting? I did not participate to the meeting in Spain, but I know that uh, the Asnar position was uh, very tough and, and uh, it's somehow shocking for uh, both Prodi and Champi. And in the way back, and uh, during the flight back to Italy, they discussed, and uh, Ciampi convinced Prodi to try uh, to do to enter uh, in the first uh, group. So uh, I think that the reason why we changed our position is strictly linked to the meeting with Azar. Then I know that Prodi uh, says something different, but uh, uh, as far as I remember, that was the reason. We could uh, accept that Spain uh, could be, <laughs> could do better than Italy. Be- because that's what the, the Azna point. Yeah. So we, we are Spanish and we enter uh, all together. Okay, that may be the main motivator for, say, Prodi as the Prime Minister, but for Ciampi, was his concern that Italy would be seen by the markets as a second division power? No, there, were no, uh, there was no discussion. We, we had a meeting uh, a couple of days after the, uh, the, Spanish, the Spanish meeting, and the question was put on the table. And there was a, a general thing. No, nobody did, had uh, nothing to object. And, uh, and in fact, the, the meeting was very short, half an hour. And uh, so everybody went back to his office to organize the new uh, manoeuvre. And of course, I knew that most of the of the job was up to him, yeah. <laughs> because there, w- there, is, uh, there was no possibility of uh, intervention in short, in short time uh, on uh, the expenditures side. Just something. Uh, then there was a possibility that uh, Champi used. Uh, we organize the budget numbers according to what other countries uh, in Europe uh, were doing at the, at the time. And we discovered that uh, Germany had a system of uh, uh, writing the, and the budget that if uh, different from us, and, but if we did uh, choose the methods, we could save uh, some uh, accounting. Uh, obtain some account of reduction for the, uh, of the deficit. But the main intervention was the so-called euro tax, which was very uh, difficult to, was easy to imagine how to do, but it was politically very, very unpopular. I mean, 
but uh, so there was uh, we had to put into the law that the euro tax 60% of the euro tax uh, had to be uh, given back to the taxpayer one year later and this uh, posed some problems at the European level because the German uh, minister said to Champi, but uh, this is, is not an adjustment. It was, and Champi answered, but, you know, this is politics. We are not compelled to do it. <laughs> but we did, because one of, of uh, the main results of uh, my time at the, as minister or final minister uh, was that uh, I was able to obtain a strong, strong reduction of tax evasion. So we, the tax income began to, to go up uh, and increase it for many years, uh, two digits. And so that was an important element. Also because with that money we could cut other taxes, uh, uh, give back the euro tax, uh, and uh, make some uh, adjustments uh, politically useful uh, on the expenditure side and so on. That, that was a very, very uh, interesting. Uh, and uh, probably nobody of us was completely aware of what was happening, but it did happen. Well, you've described it as trading a one-off tax increase and a slight structural adjustment of the primary budget against a permanent reduction in interest spending. So essentially, yeah. This, this is an export yeah. interpretation. But, well, that's what I was going to ask you. So how calculated was it when you did it? Well, I think that Champi was the only one who was aware of the uh, the logic of it. Mm. And uh, in fact, when I wrote this for my speech in uh, Oxford, he said, but you should not have said this so <laughs> so clearly. But indeed, that was the secret. I mean, but it, it was not uh, sure at all, because we didn't know what, what could have happened with the euro tax, both on the, on the growth side and on the actual success of uh, this inter- intervention, uh, and uh, we had our position that uh, was going around saying, My, uh, they will never succeed. Uh, and uh, also, we had the Bank of Italy that didn't, didn't uh, reduce the rates uh, uh, until it was clear that my tax reform didn't produce uh, a reduction in revenues, but just the opposite. Mm. Hmm. And, and so I, I think that it, it was a risky uh, enterprise. Well, I was going to ask you on the tax reform specifically because the, it was extremely ambitious for the reasons you, you sat out. It had this major impact on uh, tax evasion. And it went much further than was needed just to get your place inside the Eurozone. Uh-huh. Was part of that to buy credibility with the markets and the Bank of Italy, but also did you face resistance inside the cabinet and inside the coalition? No, well, my point was uh, I didn't use the tax system uh, uh, with the exception of the euro tax to increase the value. No. 
my point was that our tax system was was a disaster, and, and we needed a structural reform also because the amount of government increased taxation in a very uh, random way, and uh, for instance, uh, our uh, businesses faced uh, a tax rate of um, more than 50, 50, uh, 55% because, because of all, all the, the intervention made, made by, by Amato. So it was necessary to rebuild the tax system. And that was what I did. And what I did was actually what I had been saying and proposed in the 13 years in which I was member of parliament. And there was no opposition at all. There was a strong support. Maybe they had some reserve came from the PDS, my party, not not from the popular party. Also because I was uh, I felt as a very authoritative expert of, uh, and so so they let me do. <laughs> I had a strong support by Prodi and by Champi. Champi said, I don't understand anything of, of this, but what you do, whatever you do, I, I will support you. And by the popular party. The leader at the time was Gerardo Bianco, which was a, a liberal Catholic. But the, this was the honest part of the Christian Democrats. And they also felt that they shouldn't, in some way, demonstrate that they had stopped any collusion with the tax evaders. That was the main characteristic of the Christian Democrats as a whole. Um, but uh, so they let me do. Uh, it was uh, was uh, good. But after we lost the the election in two thousand one and. Uh, Berlusconi government, you know, corrected and but uh, destroyed what had been done before. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to come to that, but just before we get there, I'm thinking about the moment you joined, or just before you joined. You described all the efforts that you made internally. Was there any resistance from some of the northern governments at this stage, or did they feel that you had done enough to qualify? Not in the government. In Parliament, there was a strong, uh, strong fight, and also the uh, the right, the opposition uh, tried to stop it in in every in every way, and they also they uh, uh, left the uh, the house where during the uh, the vote, which was very useful for us actually. <laughs> And then uh, they say that uh, it was not possible that I could be able to write all uh, the uh, actual uh, laws because that was uh, a delegated law. But I did in uh, (laughs) six six months. And there was also, uh, since the reform was was built with... uh, Maintain the same revenue as the general objective. Uh, what happened was that there were winners and losers. 
and so there was a sort of balancing of these two positions. The business community was against, generally against, because uh, because of political reasons. But most of them came to my office to say, no, that's good, very good, go ahead. So, and it was uh, a fortunate combination of... Uh, Equilibrium. Mm. Who were the main losers from the package? You've described winners and losers. Who were the main losers? It depends because uh, we reduced the social contribution and introduced uh, a, a new f- flat tax on uh, value added. Uh, so we uh, we had uh, a, a, and also we eliminated some big tasks on, on uh, business. Uh, so it, it depends. I mean, uh, cooperation with heavy labor cost uh, were uh, uh, had uh, a reduction in taxation and, uh, and other uh, slight increase. But what, what is important that we uh, we made a enlargement of the tax base, which was uh, the ERAP. This uh, new tax was. Uh, comprehensive, all the value added was taxed, and eliminated a lot of, of, of tax that had rates of 16%, 11%. Then there was a tax on capital, on business capital, introduced by Yamato, and that was whipped out. You know, there was, a, and also there were small reduction of taxation of also for individuals. Mm-hmm but not not so big at the time. You mentioned what happened after you left office and Berlusconi came in and, you know, you were a couple of years into the euro and very quickly they started to unravel the things that you had put together. You describe in the speech you made in in Oxford, you describe the government that came in in 94-95 as openly inexperienced with no interest in international obligations. And what that made me think of was the experience of 2018 with the arrival of the Cinque Stelle party and Salvini and so on. Do you think, is this an Italian pattern that a government will come in, do an immediate crisis resolution, and then these people who thrive on being inexperienced come in and just unravel it? It seems to be a pattern. Well, that was an uh, objective uh, notation. It was, not, it was not an extravagant. They were inexperienced, and they, they were populist, and they uh, didn't believe at all that we in, in needed to keep uh, the, the budget uh, in, in equilibrium. And indeed, they had <laughs> immediately uh, they produced another uh, financial crisis, and also... The second time before the Monti government, Berlusconi produced the same results. This has to to, uh, to do with what I said before. Our right wing parties are not European right wing parties. They are not liberal. They are not. They are not. They are assistentialist, or uh, they they think that some. If tax evasion is good, that some corruption can help the economy go and so on. And this is the reason that I am looking with some interest to what Giorgia Meloni is trying to do. 
because she is the extreme right you can find in Europe. But she, in this few months, which has been leader of the country, she is following, maintaining a position of a balanced budget and that can be if she succeeds to keep this this approach uh, for the next uh, period can be a real innovation for this country. Because if even the right accepts that uh, there are uh, budget constraints, and, uh, uh, maybe that the left can uh, start again to, to do the left and not to do the job <laughs> of the right. Uh, uh, but at the same time, uh, if Meloni goes ahead, she will face uh, problems with, uh, because uh, she <laughs> it will be necessary for, uh, forever to cancel all uh, program, electoral program. Uh, so uh, I don't know what will happen. I've heard, you've probably heard the same thing, that she was very influenced by, or she was almost like mentored by Mario Draghi in the, even though she was outside the government. Is that... I'm sure that uh, Draghi uh, told her, be careful what you should do for this country and uh, in order to avoid problems, I have two things. Keep the budget and uh, stay with the Americans. And this is what she is uh, doing. But anyway, we shall see. The, uh, the political project of Meloni, in a way, is uh, to uh, make an alliance with the uh, United States, UK, and Poland in, in order to disrupt the uh, Western Europe. That, that's, from my point of view, is... Uh, danger for mm -hmm. everybody. So you can uh, have two uh, readings of, uh, of our politics. Mm -hmm. So you recently published a book, The Tax War, with Giovanna Fagionata, in which you talk about an implicit pact in which the employed have security and extensive welfare, and the self-employed lack those things but they pay low taxes and the blind eyes turn to evasion. It sounds like you think this is really the core of the Italian Well, problem. it's not completely exact because the independent workers, small business and all that uh, world, economic world, that is responsible of 90% of tax evasion in this country. Uh, during the years, uh, have received almost all the benefits uh, of the dependent workers. Not all, but almost all. So uh, there is no uh, more justification for the, uh, what, uh, what they do. So what we should do is complete this, you know, extension of rights, uh, of welfare rights, uh, but to stop uh, the, the evasion. It is possible. I did twice all the, uh, uh, so, but now you also have uh, technological uh, instruments that before were not available. So, but this world 
as strongly supported uh, Meloni's party and the other two majority parties. So they, they have a problem. Mm. It's something, uh, you know, there's more or less five, there were five millions of uh, independent workers and small business. That means maybe uh, eight millions votes. <laughs> this is this is a problem. I personally, I don't think that for the left would be a problem because uh, the, uh, the vast majority of people are do pay taxes uh, out of the uh, wages. Uh, but even from the left now, or in the past ten years, uh, beginning with Renzi government, there's been a, you know. Uh, a retreat from uh, this frontier. Since the pandemic ended and the war in Ukraine began, interest rates have started to rise at an extraordinary pace. But the German-Italian spread has hardly moved. In fact, it's, it's actually come in a little. On the perception that Maloney won't repeat the mistakes of Berlusconi and, and the Conte years and that the recovery fund has made a big difference. Do you think the market is right to make that assumption, or do you fear a repeat of another financial crisis? No, I, I don't, another financial crisis is not possible because uh, the European Bank has stated that uh, the spread cannot go over 200 points basis, and our spread is, is there, 200. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but there are, so the, uh, Meloni is facing difficulties in Europe because uh, she is anomalous in some way. That's the reason why she is investing much on the next election or the, election, the European election next year. You know? Because uh, if they succeed in uh, changing the majority in, uh, in Europe, uh, well, she. <laughs> Uh, she uh, will have uh, an enormous success. And unfortunately, in this period, if you look at uh, Finland, uh, Sweden, Greece, Spain, even the, the uh, Macron's difficulties, it seems that, you know, changes, are, things are moving in that direction. And also, uh, you know, the, uh, the war doesn't help. In any, in any way, uh, I would uh, never imagined that in my late years uh, I, I could see a, a post-fascist party in the in government in Italy. That's a very probably we have, we have mistaken something. Yeah, yeah, but they seem to be early days, but they seem to be behaving in the same way that, you know, has happened when radical left parties have come into office. They have to moderate in order to come into office and they have to stay relatively moderate to stay in office. So it's Hmm. maybe just a a typical experience, but coming from the right. Well, we should see it. Yeah, yeah. So one other thing I'm very interested in that you wrote a few years back was you had you wrote a proposal for a, re- a debt redemption fund for the oh yeah yeah 
And this is the first idea I remember coming from the German wise man in yes, 2001. They, they put down almost uh, the same proposal uh, one or two months after mine. All right, right. <laughs> yes, but quite independent. But then I, I noticed it but, came back. It came back after the pandemic. Francesco Givazzi, who was working for yes, Draghi, he came back. Also, also Governor Visco, my homonymous uh, in uh, I think uh, uh, it was also in the electoral program of the SPD in Germany, but the uh, Christian Democrats didn't uh, accept. But I think that the European Union has a problem. And not only the European Union, the entire economic world has a problem of uh, this enormous amount of debts that uh, has been accumulating after the 2006-07 crisis and after the pandemic. So what to do with this debt? We must find a way to put this aside, I mean, in a, in a corner. So, and, uh, you know, let the, in a few decades, the, it could be eliminated. And the, the, uh, there's been somebody that proposed that the IMF makes the, this, um, the job because uh, uh, I, I think that sooner or later we, uh, we should uh, think about, about this also because we need a lot of investments for the ecological transition and you need low interest rates. Uh, so I, I, I think it's mm. uh, an option that, uh, to which to think. And do you think, because the Giovanni proposal was a little different from the previous ones in that it wasn't really a redemption fund it was more it well, was it's more of a redemption. keep keep rolling over do you think it's important for credibility with the germans for example that it should be a true redemption fund even if it is a long payoff that was also prepared for the new budget rules of the mm. euro area so it was an object of dealing of discussion so it has been put aside Immediately. <laughs> so, final question, and it's a really it's a look back to what you did in ninety six to two thousand. Do you think, in perfect retrospect, it would have been better for Italy to attempt to resolve its deep problems before it joined the eurozone, or do you think it was, on balance, a good thing that you came in? No, no, Italy out of uh, Europe would have be, uh, become a middle oriental country. No, 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 no. So, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that was the main contribution that my generation and, and that uh, governor gave to, to this country. And we, uh, we had only benefits from uh, Europe. Also, of, in improving the average culture of this country and even of his ruling class. Even. But do you think you mentioned earlier that there's a perception that the European Central Bank will just keep the bond spread at 200? I just wonder whether Italy needs some market discipline. Perhaps it needed a period, a period just outside to be ready to join, or it needs a resumption of market discipline now to carry out certain actions. Well, we need not 
to be let alone. That's the, the problem because uh, you know this, this is a country with many contradictions. Uh, is a, a, a nearly new, a new nation. So there are territorial differences. We have many many problems. And also there is another simple question: Why so many countries try to get in Europe if it would not not be uh, profitable? It's only that. And also we were the founders of uh, the economic community, and we are in the G7. I mean, Italy is a country full of contradictions. But uh, it's a strong country. It's, uh, it's better if uh, we keep an anchor Central Europe. Given what you said about the improvement in the ruling class that has been brought about by being inside Europe, are you more hopeful or less hopeful about these changes that need to be made? Well, I, uh, you know, the, we are accustomed to be on the edge knife. So, uh, but at the same time, we always uh, find a way out for our difficulties. If it is necessary, we, we do what we has to be done. Okay. Well, Vincenzo Visco, thank you very much. Thank you.